Okay, we're going to talk today about the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, that's page 958 if you want the Bible in front of you. And again, that Bible in front of you is there for you to use. If you own a Bible, just borrow it. If you don't own a Bible, take it with you as our gift. It's yours. We want you to have the Scripture in written form. You know, it's good to know that the Bible is not just on the phone, that there's actually a book of the Bible. I think it's this one here, and I'm excited about that. How did, before we get to that, while you get into 2 Peter, it's at the end of the Bible. It's almost the last couple of pages of the long book of the Bible. How does God speak to us? Have you ever thought of that? How does God speak to us? He speaks to us in many ways, but can I give you four core catalytic ways that God speaks to us, kind of categories of them. And please understand, there's probably millions of ways God speaks to us. I'm just giving you four of the major ones. Can I do that? And this not in order, so don't go, oh, this is more important than the other. But number one, God uses people to speak to us. God uses people to speak to someone else about what God might want to say. Please understand that you have an incredible responsibility because God may be using you to speak to someone else. That's why the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to get to two of them in just a moment, are so important because God speaks to us through other people. Proverbs, right? Iron sharpening iron as one person sharpens another person. God uses people to teach us, to talk to us, to lead us. But that presumes that the person who is doing the talking is connected to God, right? I mean, God speaks to me, I speak to you. Not as a pastor, but just individuals. It's a beautiful thing, we're all a part of the priesthood. That means God speaks to all of us that we can speak to others. A second is this, God uses circumstances to speak to us. God uses circumstances to speak to us. Now. You go, well, Bill, you must be pretty Pentecostal, you know, and all this. No, God uses circumstances. What does Romans 8, 28 say? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, things are circumstances. What's interesting is, in this verse, Depending on your translation, the good that's being worked out is from different people. If you have an NIV, it's God working out the things. If you have a King James Version, it's the things that are good that are working out. If you have a Revised Standard Version, it's the spirit that's working. In other words, there is something going on in the circumstances of life that God is working in your behalf. Please understand that. God is working on your behalf, both with things that happen to you, and can I say the things that don't happen to you. The problem with the things that don't happen to you, you don't know them, and we won't know them till the end of the day. You don't know how many times a guardian angel has stopped somebody from hitting your car, or walking into your house instead of someone else's house, or doing something bad to you versus someone else. We just don't even know this, God is protecting us, so we don't know how, but through these circumstances, you chose to walk down that road when you lived in the city and not this road. And had you walked down that road, something might have gone bad. And God works through those ways. There's a connection between God, life circumstances, us, and the working of good. 
And I can't tell you what it is, but God chooses to use circumstances in our life to work out the good in our life. Number three, and this is a category because there's a lot, God uses the spiritual disciplines. So the spiritual disciplines include his word, prayer, meditation, contemplation, solitude, fasting, all these spiritual disciplines that we talked about this past summer in the Sermon on the Mount, God uses them. People go, I wanna hear from God. Well, an easy way would be just open the book. You wanna hear from God, you will hear from God if you open the book. You wanna hear from God, start praying. You will hear from God. Let me tell you, people go, oh, I haven't heard from God in a while. I'm thinking, okay, just start reading. I don't know where to read. As Elizabeth says, start in Psalm chapter one and don't stop until he starts speaking to you. And usually that's the third or fourth verse, but you might need to take a chapter or two and he will start speaking to you. It is an amazing thing. And there's so many other spiritual disciplines that you can do. And, but Bible reading, prayer, silence and solitude, you know, we live in such a world that there's very little silence and solitude. So every so often, God, you know, you go, I don't hear God. Well, maybe it's because you got everything else so loud in your life. And the final thing is God uses himself to speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. That favorite verse that you hear me quote about every other week, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's God who's not given us a spirit of fear, but it is God who's given us love, power, and a sound mind or or discipline. It's God who speaks to us. God speaks to you. Now, the problem is many times is we, we say God speaks to me and it doesn't match the Bible and then things go bad. So you gotta make sure that when God is speaking to you, it's really God speaking to you. And I usually say, because you have godly friends who are helping you and you have the scriptures who are helping you to help interpret what God is speaking you to do. So why does God give us the fruit of the spirit? Why does God give us love, joy, and peace? Well, in part so that I have it, But that's pretty narcissistic that God gives it to me so that I have it. God gives it to me so that I can give it to you. You see, God gives you love, joy, and peace so that you can give it to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, to your colleagues. You see, it's what's so important. Now we come to two today that are, love, joy, and peace is easy. No one argues with this, right? I love you, I've got joy. I'm pretty peaceful, but now the two today are patience and kindness. Patience and kindness. This is the one where we start diverting off and people, well, I'm not quite as patient as I should be. Well, no joke, we get that one. There's so many people. Let's read in 2 Peter chapter three, verse eight. You could go a lot of places. First of all, what is patience? Patience is a negative. It's something you don't do. I mean, it's not negative, it's, but it's in the, you don't do this and you'll be patient. So patience means you're slow to speak, you're slow to anger, and you don't complain. You don't complain. I hear a lot of complaining in this world. 
We don't complain. We're patient. What does God say about it? Verse 8 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. But do not overlook this one fact. Pretty amazing at the end of a great book. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. Okay, we're starting out with, he's going to say a couple words about patience, but he starts out by even giving us a patient statement, which is, you know, to God, one year is a thousand, one day is a thousand years, and one year, thousand years is one day. What is he saying there? Now, we need to realize, why a thousand? Why didn't he say one day is like a hundred days, and one, you know, like a hundred years? Why didn't he say a million? Well, first of all, because the word thousand was really the highest denominator numerically back in those days. You see a little of it. You don't really see the million mark until uh, the Middle Ages. I think it was Chaucer and Canterbury Tales where the word million first appears. So the million didn't appear until the Middle Ages. And of course, billion didn't appear until way more recently. So he couldn't say a day is like a billion years. But that's what he means. He is not bound by time. He uses the thousand because that's the denominator, the largest denominator of the time. I think the actual largest is 10,000. But he says a thousand. And so he's saying that God is not bound by time. So he's giving this kind of statement of patience. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness. Now, this is the funny part of this passage. One day is a thousand years. Now, we only live at, back then at the most 80 to 120 back then. Now we're more like 80 to 90 if you live a full life. I'm not even going to live to the thousand years. And yet, and he's comparing one day to a thousand years. And yet he says, the Lord is not slow. To me, that's a slow statement. If I say a day is a thousand years, that seems pretty slow to me, doesn't it? I mean, I want my answer now, and I want it before noon. That's us, right? But here's the beautiful thing. What he's saying is by saying, I'm here now, a thousand years I'm here, I'm back here now, I am not slow. He's saying that he is constantly with us whether it was back then. You remember we sang that song last week, Same God? The same God that dealt with Jacob 5,000 years ago is the same God that's dealing with you today. And he's dealing with it, and he's not slow in his answer. Now, to you, he's slow in his answer, and to me, he's slow in his answer, because it's been five years since I began praying that prayer. It might be 10 years. You might be praying for someone your entire life, but to God, it's, he's in it. Don't think that God is not listening or he doesn't care because he is not slow. He just counts time different than you and I count time. Because God is looking at this and I am looking at this. All I care about is right now. I wanna, I'm looking at the photograph, God's looking at the video. Just gotta understand that. He continues here, as some count slowness. Well, the sum is all of us but is patient toward you. Now he turns this upside down. He goes from not being slow to answer your prayers to being patient or slow with your lack of faith. 
You see, we want him to be quick to answer my prayers. We want him to be slow to discipline me. Isn't that what we wanted with our parents? Gimme, 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 but don't discipline me. That's what we want with God. And God's saying, I'm patient with you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's a huge theological discussion. But here's the amazing thing. He's saying, it could happen right now. So God is not just doing the future, looking way out. It could happen right now. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now here's a concept. Let me give you just a thought that I'm gonna end with in just a moment, but I'm gonna end it here. I heard this this week, and I, it's, I don't know if you hear a statement sometimes, you just meditate on that statement all week long. Somebody says something, you read a verse. Somebody said earlier this week that what comforts you in life has to comfort you in death. What comforts you in life has to comfort you in death. In other words, however you live your life today, that is what you have when you're on your deathbed. And that is why angry young people are angry old people. Have you ever seen an angry old person that has no filter? At least angry young people have a little filter. Angry old people are nasty. They didn't get nasty as at the old age. They were nasty throughout the process. And they're dying in their nastiness. And have you ever seen someone who was just a cool kid, and then when they grew up, they were just great people? You may not have known them until their old age, and you go, that person is really great. And yet they're about to die. Why is that? Because the things that comfort them in their youth are the things that comfort them in their death. Now, the beautiful thing is that can change. You can come to Christ, but many people come to Christ and their fruit doesn't change. And a part of that is today's topic of patience, or shall I say impatience, and kindness, or should I say lack of kindness. Do you see that? And it's an amazing thing. So God is calling us to patience. Now, what can we learn from this? Three very quick things. Number one, God's timing is not our timing. God's timing is not our timing. Number two, God is patient with us. Now, that's what we always talk about. God does it for us. We should do it for other people. God loved me. I should love you. God gives to me. I should give to you. God is kind to me. I should be kind to you. God is patient to me. I should be patient to you. So God's timing is not our timing. God is patient with us. So we should be patient with others. And the third one is the tough one. And this is easily said and spit out of the mouth, but hard to do and realize, is God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. 
A day is a thousand years, yet he could come as a thief in the night. We don't know what God's ways are. We know some of them, but he works in mysterious ways. And it's a beautiful thing. So the question becomes, if I could just say something about you without, I won't ask you to raise your hand. If you're not a patient person, how do you become patient? How do you have that slow to speak, slow to anger kind of mentality? Because usually it's about people. Usually you're not patient about people. It could be about things. It could be about the economy. It could be about other things. But usually it's about people, and then it bears itself out in other ways. Let me give you a suggestion that's so simple that you'll go, oh, it doesn't work. And that is pray for the person that you're not patient about. We always pray for ourselves. Oh, pray, God, give me patience. How about praying for the person you're not patient for? or two, and realize that God's going to increase your patience as you start praying for that person. And as you start praying for that person, you start realizing, boy, they have some needs. Maybe I could help them. Maybe at this, whether it's a child, an adult child, a spouse, a, a family member, a parent, whatever the relationship is, begin to really pray for them in earnest. And when you pray for them in earnest, things change. I say this about anger, too. We're not talking about anger. But if you're angry, I'll give you this for free. If you're angry about someone, take 30 days, once a day, and pray for that person. And before 21 days, you will no longer be angry about that person. You cannot pray for somebody and be angry with them. You cannot pray for someone on a consistent basis, true prayer, not, oh, God, be with so-and-so. True prayer, really in you're not going to be impatient with that person anymore. It just, it works. Now, let's look at kindness for a moment. Kindness, and I want you to turn over to the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 816 in the Bible in front of you, Luke 10, verse 25. What is kindness? Kindness is mercy, sweetness, tenderness, an attractive temperament, compassion. In the, uh, in the Psalms, it's translated in two ways. One, it's translated loving kindness, and you see that throughout the Psalms. It's also translated as mercy. In Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, surely, mercy, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know that verse? That's surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, there's a kindness that follows you. And that's interesting. But let's read this. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's one of those very familiar stories. And we talk about it in many ways. Verse 25 of Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That was the correct answer, by the way, theologically very correct. And he answered, I'm sorry, go back down to verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. So the guy who really didn't believe still understood and answered it correctly. He said, do this and you will live. 
Love God, love your neighbor. Pretty simple. Do this. I know what to do. I should do it. But he didn't. He, he kept going. This is the lawyer going in verse 29. Desiring to justify himself, he's now bantering about you know, this is kind of a, if I can, I use this word with a small p, but it was a political, religious conversation at this point. It wasn't, what should I really do? He's trying to get Jesus caught up so he could get him in trouble with the political, and that's the uh, religious system of the day. Politics and religion were connected back then, and so connected there with the high priest and all of that, so he could go to court because he would have said the wrong thing. And justifying himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? To love my neighbor, go do it, love your neighbors yourself. He goes, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus shared a parable. It's a great story. Jesus sometimes spoke in very didactic truth statements, love God, love your neighbor, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Very and blessed is this, and things like that. And other times he told stories. This is one he told a story, same truth. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. We've heard a lot of sermons about the bad preacher and the bad elder and all these bad things, and that is for another day. But I want to talk about the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had what? Compassion, kindness. Do you see that? Kindness requires you to do something. It's not just a feeling, it's a fruit. Fruit bears something. It's not just, hmm, I feel bad that you guys are going through this. I really do. And walk away. It's, he felt compassion. And so what does he do? He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil. Again, that's olive oil to soothe the thing, and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarius and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This was actually most likely a traveling guy who went back and forth and stated this in a lot. So he had a relationship with the inn and he said, hey, I'm giving you some advance money. If you need more, take care of them and I'll pay you later. I mean, this guy is really an incredible guy. Take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him kindness, mercy. That's the same theological word out of the Hebrew. This is in the Greek, but it's the same theological word. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So if we are gonna treat people like our neighbor, we need to treat them with compassion, mercy, and kindness. And our neighbor, as we have conceived in the United States, is the person who lives next door to me. 
That is not who our neighbor is, is it? Our neighbor is the person who God brings before us and we interact with them. So the question becomes for the other two men that went around, all the way around him like this, was he, the guy on the ground, their neighbor too? The answer is yes. But these men didn't do anything about it. And what was the thing they could have done about it? They could show mercy, compassion, and loving kindness. God has called you and me to kindness. Now, what is kindness? It's compassion. What do we learn here? It's action. There's power in it. I mean, the man actually did something. It took, if I could use power in a good sense, it took power. He actually moved him. He got him to a place. He used his own resources. Kindness responds to needs. Kindness is a characteristic of God. Kindness matters. And if I could bring it into our modern context, kindness evangelizes. When you show someone kindness, you have given been given the right to share the gospel, to share it. You're showing kindness. It serves, it forgives, it evangelizes. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness and forgiveness are many times linked together. If you want to be kind to somebody, also forgive them and serve them. Now, our time is up, and I just want to share a couple of closing thoughts. As we come out of COVID and kind of come out of a whole chaotic time in all of life, and we're kind of, not that COVID has gone from us, some still get it once in a while, and and we see that, and we pray for you when that happens, but a lot of things have changed. What has changed in church world? Us. You guys are in church world here. We're here. A couple things have changed. Going into COVID, it was interesting. The kind of complaints I used to get, can I tell you the complaints I'd get? You know, when people would email me, can I tell you what they were? I'll tell you. They, it's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. Your sermons are too long. Your sermons are too short. Clay is too loud. Clay is not loud enough. The worship is too long. The worship is too short. Do you see this? It's all about me. Those were the complaints I got going in. I don't get those complaints anymore. I don't remember the last time anybody complained. You know, when it's too hot in here, it's because that second air conditioner up there has, goes on the fritz once in a while. Nobody complains about it. We live with it. Why? Because we kind of know, you know, and the people that don't like our worship here go somewhere else. I mean, they just... You know, people aren't complaining as much as they used to. That's the good part. The bad part coming out of COVID in the same kind of physical side of it is this, is we become consumers of Christian content. I listen to this live stream and that podcast and this blog and I read that, and I love this radio station. No, I like that radio station. No, I like K-Love, not Way FM, and I like WRNB and this because I listen to so-and-so. And it's all consumerism. 
We're all consuming. People go to two churches on Sunday. I'm trying just to apply one sermon a week. I don't know if I could apply five sermons a week. It's just we've come consumers and consumers and consumers. So one is we've come out better, and other ways we've kind of come out worse. What we are doing at this church and most many other churches is we want to be gospel-centered, not um, is it good, is it better, are we the best, no, they're the best and all, not that consumerism. If you think of Christian content as getting it for yourself, you're missing the point. The point of Bible studies, the point of all this is for a changed life. It's for us to have a better relationship with the creator of the world and to have a better relationship with our brothers and sisters and to go and spread the gospel, teaching them to observe all things and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what it's about? So how does this happen? There's words we use in church that we don't like to use anymore because they've been misused. So when you come, what do I want you to, to get? What is it that you get when you come to church or come to a Bible study? Well, can I tell you a couple words we're not allowed to use anymore? One is success. For some reason, the word success has been overused, just bad. But there is a sense of success. We want you to be successful. The other word that's bad is prosperity because some people have taken it way out to the end. So if I can't use the word success and I can't use the word prosperity, what word is it that we want? And can I give you a word? It's not a, it's not a biblical word, but it's a biblical concept that many people are using now, and that's the word flourish. Flourish. We want you to flourish. First of all, in your faith. Now you could say, well, we want you to prosper in your faith. Yes, we want you to be successful in your faith. Yes, but let's just use the word flourish. I want you to flourish in your faith. I want you to grow in your belief in God and his son, Jesus Christ, and understand the scriptures better. Second of all, we want you to flourish in your relationships. That's why we have groups and dynamics and why we uh, have all these things to help people to flourish in relationships. And here's a third one that you might not like or you might go, oh, this goes too much. We want you to flourish financially. People are afraid to talk about, we conservative Christians are afraid to talk about that, but can I just tell you, it costs 20% more to live today than it did a year and a half ago before COVID. I want you to flourish through that. I'm not saying I want you to be a millionaire and God's giving us all millions of dollars. That's prosperity gospel, but there is a flourishing that comes. Young people, it is harder to find apartments to live in for a price that is equal to your pay. I mean, these things, we need to help people flourish financially. And it's not a bad thing. That's why we have Financial Peace University with our friends here. And we have other ways we go, let's help people. And older people is they're getting older and realizing they don't have enough money to finish the life out with. Because when they retired, they were living, life was at this, and now it costs this. And we just want people to flourish in their faith and in their relationships. 
Another way of flourishing is what you do. What do you do all day? That's your vocation. That's your calling. You come here on Sunday and you go to a Bible study on a Wednesday or Thursday or some other day, but what is it that you do? We want you to flourish in it and to realize God has called you into your vocation and to flourish in that as well. And then finally, and this is one that you'll go, oh, no, he is a Pentecostal, and I'm really not, (laughs) is I want you to flourish in your health. There are so many people that we pray for that are, you know, why do we go to the hospital and pray for people who are sick? Because we want them to flourish in their health. I can't do anything about your health. I can't. Either the way you live or the, the diseases that come. But God wants us to flourish through our health. And it's just one of those things we need to, and we as a church are here to help you flourish. On your part, some patience, some kindness, some love, some joy, some peace. We're going to get to the other ones next two weeks while I'm gone. Francois is going to speak next week, and Matthew McDaniel is going to speak the following week and bring more to this. But there are great things that can happen when a group of people come together for the flourishing of their community. And that's what we are about here at Boca Raton Community Church. First of all, in your faith. Do you believe Jesus Christ? Do you believe what we were singing just a few moments ago, that he is worthy? And if you do, believe in him as your savior. Let's pray together.